Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Okay, as you guys can tell, I'm not Pastor Jeff, and these lights are really bright. Um, Let me get everything set up here today so if I uh, lose my place, I can get back to it. You know, I was talking to my wife this morning before we came here, and um, in a lot of uh, public speaking, teaching, and things like that, they teach you that you need to be uh, somewhat edgy or funny in order to really capture the crowd. And so I walked out this morning with a t-shirt on that I've got at home. It's a blue t-shirt, has a little stick figure on it that's holding up a sign that says free gas. He's got one leg in the air and a green cloud protruding from somewhere on his body. I said, I'm going to wear this to church this morning because I think it's funny and edgy. And she goes, there's a reason that they make that statement that that's going to go over like a fart in church. Okay. And so I know she's sitting over here really glad I didn't wear it today because it would have been embarrassing. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you guys. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Phil Lockwood. I'm a full-time disciple and I moonlight as a welding fabricator. Um, I also lead a, uh, an amazing group. actually don't lead. I actually get to serve. My wife and my son and I, for the last three-plus years, have been able to serve an amazing group of young people called Impact. And um, several years back, there was uh, just a time in my life where I came down to a point where I really wanted to go back in and look at God's Word afresh, you know, kind of the aspect of if all I had was the Word of God and I was on a desert island and I didn't have anybody to share with me, you know, for those of you that... Here's your spiritual term for day, theology. For those of you that didn't have somebody else to teach you some theology to go along with the Bible, if you had the Bible and all you had was the Bible on a desert island and you read it, what would you walk away with? How would it affect your life? What would you, what would you believe, you know, and how would that shape how we do things? And that was kind of what's molded and shaped my life. And so that's kind of where I'm going to go this morning in, in what we're looking at. This is going to be really scripture heavy this morning, uh, hopefully with very little commentary. But for those of you that know me, um, usually I've got plenty of commentary, even if I feel like I don't have any. Um, God blessed me with the gift of being able to talk. And so um, anyway, I want to dig into it. Uh, so let me pray first. Father God, I just pray that you would lead and guide us, that you would direct our lives, uh, that you would mold and shape us, uh, Father, that we can be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do. And God, I pray as uh, I get the opportunity to teach your word this morning, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would do what you want to do with it. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you might increase. And God, I pray that you would be glorified. Uh, I don't want people to walk out of here going, wow, that was a good message, or that was, you know, Phil stinks as a speaker. <laughs> um, but I want them to walk out going, wow. God, I heard from you this morning, and that's what I, the desire of my heart is, and that we would, each one of us would be challenged at whatever level you want to challenge us with this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you are on Facebook, but this past week, um, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, posted something on Facebook shortly after last weekend that um, is sad but very true. The statement that he posted was that far too many Christians these days Treat the word of God like a software licensing agreement. You know, we look at it initially, we scroll to the bottom of it, we click I agree without ever reading it. And I think that really speaks to the problem with the perception of the church as a whole. Now, I'm not talking just about us and, and 
as I go through this, there's a lot of you guys that, that really get this, and then there's some of us that need to be tuned up about it. And the reason I'm sharing this is because God's used this to do a tune-up in my life. And first off, for somebody to teach a message, you've got to first have it taught to yourself. Um, you've got to believe it yourself. And so that's where I'm coming from this morning on this. But I think far too many believers go through life and treat it like this software licensing agreement. It's like, oh, there it is, click, boom, I agree. And, and, and we're kind of done with it, and we don't read all the rest of the love letter that God has written us in his word. And so this morning, I want us to explore a few things because this is where I was at in my life. This is what, what I started looking at initially um, was kind of the question of God, where are we to go here You know, with what you've called us to do as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, I want to be more than a believer. I'm called to be a disciple. And what's that look like? What is the life of a disciple? And I kept finding myself gravitating back to, you want to put that first scripture up, Zach? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many people have heard this verse before? A lot of us. How many people have sat and really, really pondered and dissected what this means? I mean, we hear it and we, we go over the top of it. But I just want to take a minute here to break this down because this is what's going to be the key to why I started the search of, of the scriptures about what does it really look like to do what it says in this verse. First off, here's the thing that we've got to ask ourselves. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm challenged by this verse for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that at the very beginning of the verse, the first words of it, then Jesus came to them and said, now does that blow your mind? It should. Because just a few days earlier, this guy was dead. He'd been crucified on a cross. He'd been put in a tomb and he was dead. And now Jesus came to them and said, I think one of the challenges that we've got to look at in going to scripture is the fact that do we really believe this book to be true cover to cover or do we just look at it as a book of stories because if we believe it to be true cover to cover if jesus had been dead just a few days before and now he came to them and spoke for those of us that call ourselves followers of jesus christ this should really perk our ears up we should be like on point about okay what's he about to say because this is the risen lord who we'll get to it here who all authority has been given to now, see, Jesus didn't have all authority before. You remember when he was getting tempted in the desert by Satan? Satan says, all the authority over the earth has been given to me, and I can give it to you. Now, Jesus is, has been crucified. He died, and now he's been resurrected. Now, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means everything has been given to him. I don't know about you, but it changed my life when I started looking at it from the standpoint that if I really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that he is the only person that self-resurrected in history... That should change the way I look at things. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what does that mean? In all the authority, I mean, you look at all the kings and the presidents and everything else that are around us and everything. All the authority that they have is under God's authority, under the authority of Jesus Christ. And if he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What should we be doing? Going and doing something, Right? It compels us to move forward. I look at that, 
and it's like, okay, the baptism thing and everything and making disciples, I need to learn how to do that. But first, I need to learn how to obey what he's commanded us. Because here's the thing. When you look at this verse, this is not a suggestion. This is an imperative. This is a command. Jesus said, go and make disciples. We get caught up a lot of times in the fact that, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm not cut out to be a missionary. Guess what? We can go and make disciples in our own neighborhood. Okay? Um, it isn't necessarily about going to every nation. God may call you with that gift to go to some other nation and share the gospel. But every one of us that identifies with him as our Lord and Savior is called to be a disciple. It's not an option. And we're called to go make disciples. And I'll get to that as we go through this a little more. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The authority is laid out very clear. It's an instruction as disciples to follow him. I like the aspect here, the final thing that I want to get to that's going to catalyst sin the rest of this message. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, it's in the going and being on mission that he promises to be with us. How many of us go, well, I've been following Christ for years, and I just don't feel him close. I don't feel him near me. But let me ask you, how many of you are involved in going and being on his mission? How many of you are making disciples? How many of you are intentionally changing your schedules to be involved in other people's lives? I guarantee you, if you do that, you will feel him close by you because he says, it's then I will be with you to the end of the age. It's in the going and the doing that it happens. He also tells us to obey everything I've commanded you. How many of us know everything he's commanded us? We tend to opt that off sometimes by going, well, this is about works. This is about, you know, he's talking about we've got to do things. And let me make this very clear. Salvation is a free gift from God by grace. You can do nothing to earn this gift that he's given to you. But in acceptance of the gift that he's given to you, there's a call to obedience. The aspect of what I'm teaching here is much like the fact that if I took Ethan, my son, and told him, hey, Ethan, go clean your room. And Ethan takes off and goes to his room for an hour and then comes running back out to the front room to me and goes, hey, Dad, hold on. I got this. I got this. Listen, Dad, check this out. I've memorized what you told me. Go clean your room. And I'm like, okay, great. Did you clean your room? And he's like, no, but I memorized what you told me. Did he really do what I've asked him to do? Has he been obedient to my commands? But far too many of us as believers feel like we're good with memorizing what God's told us to do, but never really cleaning our room. And this is the challenge. No wonder the church is looked at by the world as these people really don't believe what they say because they say these things and they say they're about these things, but where's the evidence of it in their lives? Where are, where's the truth that's played out? So as we look at these things, let me go here first on obeying his commands and trying to figure out what the commands are because I'm a simple person. I just need a place to start. Give me, give me one aspect of what to obey. I mean, we've got the Ten Commandments. We've got other things. Where do I start? Where do I want to start out on this? Let me give you a few verses. First John 2, 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete within him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as he did. Let me tell you something real quick, sidebar. God's love is truly made complete within him. I've wrestled with this verse for a long time, and it says, whoever obeys his commands, when we're out doing what we've been called to do, then God's love is made complete to those people around us. And so it's manifested, made complete, not only in us, but outstretched to those around us. Does that make sense? It's in the going and the doing, being in other people's lives, that his love can be made complete, not only in us, but in those around us, and they see something very different. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. It brings me down to Luke 10, 25. 
through 37. We can go ahead and put that up there. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he, said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, uh, so he asked, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, in reply, Jesus said, a man goes down from from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away to leave him half dead. A priest happened happened to be going by down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place where, the, where, where when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day. He took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I think this answers a lot of questions for me. Um, That was when I was looking at what he's commanded us to do. It really... um, answered a significant number of questions because of the fact that, you know, in this, I want us to get to the key first verse on this thing. So many of us, we look at the Bible and, and uh, we hear verses like, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Or John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I think the problem is we put these things into boxes. But uh, this might be an interesting analogy for you. Anybody know who Mark Gunger is? He's a mar- marriage counselor. He's a really does this thing. I mean, you guys may have seen a video he does called the nothing box. And he's talking about the difference between men's brains and women's brains. And you can imagine who the nothing box applies to. Um, <laughs> anyway, men's brains are compartmentalized. We have boxes. And we pull those boxes out. That's why when our wives come up to us and say, honey, can you take out the garbage? And we're like, what? Because we're watching something on TV or we're involved in something else. And so we've got these boxes that we work through. And I think a lot of believers treat the gospel like a man's brain. We've got these boxes that we pull out. But here's the thing. This may be revolutionary. The gospel's more like a woman's brain. Have you ever noticed how the fact that in a woman's brain, everything's interconnected? She smells something. It relates to this, which relates to this story, which is back to this story. And and all of it's interconnected. And the Bible is, is very much like a woman's brain from that aspect. It's very much interconnected. So when you see a verse that stands in contrast to another verse... It's not that they are in conflict with each other. It's someplace they mesh together. Someplace they come together because the Bible is complete and it's whole and it's been ordained by God and it's the way he wanted it to be. And so when we see these verses, don't stop short on the fact that, okay, yes, it is absolutely true. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. But that is also in conjunction with other verses. You following me on this? Okay. Um, So what I want us to get out of that is the fact that when we look at this, What's the first thing? What, what was the question that, that the teacher asked Jesus? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What do we consider to be eternal life? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. 
That salvation we're talking about is salvation unto eternal life with Jesus. And now here a teacher in the law says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is telling him, you have to go do something. So it's not an and or. It's an, you know, it's not an or, it's an and. Jeff was talking about ands last week, you know, with the whole orange thing and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's these two things together. And so here's where we're at on this. The teacher in the law asks us, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies. And so let's break down what Jesus has told him to do and what we see in the story. We see that this man was beaten, okay? First off, don't be the guys that walk by. I'm just going to say that. Don't be the guys that just walk by on the other side of the road. What we see in the Samaritan, and there's a whole lot of stuff that we can build in here because the Samaritans were considered to be people that were unclean and unworthy. These were not the chosen people of God. And I think it's very interesting that Jesus picks out somebody who is not one of the people that was supposed to be the called or the elite or the whatever. He, he picks out the Samaritan. And the Samaritan has mercy on this guy. First off, what we see is we see this guy, he's on his way. He's on a trip from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So he's got someplace he needs to be, but yet he sees somebody in need. And his schedule's not packed so tight. <laughs> or even if it is, he goes, somebody's in need. I need to stop because this is more important than anything I've got to do. I need to stop and minister to that person. How many of us have structured our lives in a way that we can actually stop and minister to somebody? Or are we just so slammed with our business and our sports and everything else that we've got going on or our favorite TV program that we don't have open time to minister to somebody else? But not only that, he stops and he takes the time to go over to this guy. And then in that day, somebody who'd been beaten and was bloody was considered to be unclean to the Jews. The Samaritan blows that off and goes, you know what, there's a need here. I don't care how unclean this person is. I'm going to get in the middle of their life. See, believers far too often treat people in the world that are quote-unquote unclean and dirty, like a public restroom, okay? Guys, in a public restroom, men, let me ask you a question. How do you typically flush the toilet? Somebody, tell me. With your foot, yeah. And where should the trash can be in a public restroom? Why? (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) Here's the thing, guys. We treat people in the world and people around us that aren't followers of Christ, like going to a public restroom. We want to get in and out and do our business as quick as we can without touching anything and then get back to where we're comfortable. And we've got to stop that. We've got to take the time to get into people's lives. Why? Because Jesus said it right here. Take the time to get into somebody's life who could be considered unclean. Not only that, we see this guy taking time to bandage this guy's wounds and touch him. And then we also see him taking time to put him on his own donkey and go out of his way to take him to an inn where he gives up his own money. Now, did Jesus say anything in here about instead of giving to the church, you know, or in lieu of, or give that money to your church, or did the Samaritan go back to his church and say, hey, I need my 10% back so I can go give it to take care of this guy? No, live your life with enough margins, because this is what we're doing to be obedient. Live your life with enough margins in your finances that you have the ability to respond when there's a need. It's not necessarily about your church responding. Yes, your church should be responding. Your church should have margin to meet those needs. But we need to have margin in our life to be able to respond when God God calls us to respond. Because that might be the door that opens up the opportunity to share Christ with somebody. And see, this is a tangible way of sharing the love of God with somebody. This is that whole aspect of, of when we do these things, when we obey his commands, God's love is made complete. He took his own money and he took care of this guy. He went with him, and he stayed the night at the inn with him. And then we see in the morning, as he's getting ready to leave, he leaves money there to take care of this guy's needs. And not only that, he says, and when I come back, 
Guys, it isn't a matter of just stepping into somebody's life for a moment. It's coming back. Far too often, and here I go with another analogy, but far too often we treat new believers in the church or people who are interested in Christ like a discarded baby that's found in a dumpster. I mean, man, we give them, we give them a Bible and say, good luck, and throw them away. You know, and we don't come back. We don't invest in them. We don't spend that time with them. I will tell you by personal experience, when you invest in people's lives, it makes a huge difference. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, you have to go out of your way. And yes, it's like, wow, God, I just need some downtime. But you know what's incredibly awesome? In the midst of that, you realize God is with me. How many of you here have been on mission trips? Let me ask you a question. In the midst of going where you really didn't have control of your situation a whole lot. Somebody else was running your time and your schedule. The thing that I see the most, the thing I hear the most, people come back and go, I never felt closer to God than when I was in the midst of meeting those needs. And they come back compelled to, I want to go back. How many of you want to go back to where you've been? Why is that? Is it because you felt closer to God there than most other times in your life? See, it's being on God's mission that he's with us. And the reason we don't feel them as close here is because we get back and we get stuck in this routine of it's, it's about my trip first. It's about what I'm doing first instead of about what God's doing. And so we get back here and we feel an absence of God. We feel like we're not close to him and we long to be back on mission. You don't have to go to another country to be on mission. You can do it right here. Love your neighbor. What Jesus did by defining this is not only the fact that our neighbors are the people who are close to us or who are working with us, but he also defined it as those in need. And guess what? We all know people in need. Everybody around us is in need in one way or another. And so those are our neighbors. So we've got plenty of work to be doing. I don't know what our excuse is for not doing it other than the fact that we maybe just don't believe God's word to be true. We don't let God's word change our lives. But he redefined that. Let me run down through a few other things here. Let me read some verses to you guys. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we, ought to do, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Don't get caught up in the fact that, well, I don't want to be about works. I'm not talking works here. I'm talking obedience. Okay? There's a big difference. I've already told you, you can't earn salvation through the aspect of, of works. It's salvation is a free gift. But as a response to that, as a natural response to that, we should be obedient. <clears throat> James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims he has faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. Don't rest in the fact that, okay, my salvation is absolutely secure because of the fact that I said a prayer, which, okay, doesn't exist in the Bible. There's no place in the Bible that says say this prayer, okay? We've got to confess that Jesus is Lord and the evidence of that should be life change, okay? 
I'm going to get to some other verses here, and I really want you guys to hear these because I want us to be challenged by this. Let me just read down through this. This is scripture heavy today. And First uh, John 3, 21 through 24. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And in this, his command, and this is his command, to believe in the name of Jesus, or to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar about what we're supposed to do as believers? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. Those who obey my commands, or obey his commands, live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 17. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and, fat, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked who ask you to do this, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, your Sabbath, your convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. This is, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. My soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary. Uh, I, I'm weary of you bringing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen to you. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing what is wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Guys, I think churches get really caught up. This is just me. This is my feeling. But I think we get really caught up as believers in doing the things that are easy to do. Because let me tell you, coming here on a Sunday morning to sit here and listen to a message and to listen to the worship service and to be involved in that is all good and relatively easy to do. But it's only half of what we're told to do. And this here is exactly what he's talking about. The new moon celebrations, the Sabbath feasts and those things, we're all celebrations to God. Okay, God is talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to his chosen people. He's talking to Judea. Okay? And he even refers to them back as Sodom and Gomorrah because there was this level of things that were taking place in their lives because of the fact that they thought they were doing this right because they were coming and doing all these celebrations and being thankful and grateful to God and opening their hands and praying before him and everything else and doing all these ritual things without the other half of what we're told to do. And if we're not living a balanced life, we become detestable to God. What we do, raising our hands and praising the Lord and pursuing him on a Sunday morning, begins to stink. We need to be about going and spreading the gospel by tangibly being in people's lives and not just coming here to get fed and filled up and be consumers of the gospel. But guys, if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you're a follower of him, that needs to be tangibly manifested in your life outwardly to others. Let me read you another one. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 10. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. 
They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager, and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted? They, why have they fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrels and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do. You cannot fast as you, who do, as you do today and expect your voices to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only one day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for the bowing of one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what I've called you to fast? Is that a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie, to untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is this not to share your food with the hungry and provide shelter for the poor wanderer and it, uh, and, and, yeah, and to provide the, the poor wanderer with shelter when you, see, when you see them naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer you. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do, if you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise up in the darkness. The word spend means to completely exhaust in this passage. If you go back and you look at the root word of, this, of what it means, it means to completely exhaust. When was the last time you completely exhausted yourself on behalf of the hungry? Guys, this is for me too. When was the last time I did it? I'm just convicted by this, or at least I, I'm convicted by this. I, I don't know if you guys are or not. The point of this is not that you walk away going, wow, I'm convicted, but that you walk away going, wow, I want to change. Maybe I've never heard this in the Word of God before. Maybe I didn't know it was there. But I will tell you that if you follow this, it works. If you don't, I believe there are strong penalties that come with it. I've still got time. <laughs> Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then he will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Guys, I don't know about you, but I really struggle with the fact that I believe that that verse applies to a lot of people that call themselves believers and think they're in a good place because they've said a prayer, because they've asked Jesus to come into their heart, but they're not being obedient to carry out the second half of this. I may be stepping on a few toes theologically here this morning, but I would just ask that we go back and read our Bible again with a really open mind and ask the Holy Spirit to really speak to us about where this is at, because I think, you know, there's, I, I could sit down and we could spend several hours going through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture that I believe points to this fact in the Word of God, but let me take you to another one here as we get down to the end of this thing. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another 
as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or in need of clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers, you have done for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for you, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothing and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in need of clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply to them, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these or whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will inherit eternal life. What do you take away from that verse? What is he saying? What was the evidence? Was it that, did, did he say that when you stand up at the end and, and they're being judged, that, okay, um, Matt, go over here on my right because you said a prayer. Because you confess that Jesus is Lord. As he's judging this, he's looking at what did you do? And there's parable after parable after parable that talks about, I've given you this, what have you done with it? If you don't produce good fruit, you'll be pruned and thrown into the fire. Guys, in order to be pruned off the vine, which is Jesus Christ, you have to be in the vine, correct? Think about it. You have to have been a part of the vine in order to be removed from it and thrown into the fire because you're not producing fruit. I don't know about you, but the whole aspect of just wrestle with this, guys, the whole aspect of I've said a prayer and I'm good to go, I believe is not what the Bible says, okay? It's a part of what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who want to follow Jesus Christ. Don't look at the Bible as a software licensing agreement. Get into it and read it. Because here's the thing. What I'm telling you from up here is what I believe the Bible's led me to. What Jeff tells you from up here is what he believes the Bible's led him to. What other people tell you, but guess what? We're just men, okay? We could be flawed. We could be wrong. It's up to you to get into the Word of God and get on your knees and ask him to send the Holy Spirit to enlighten you to his word and lead you and guide you because your theology shouldn't be developed because of Jeff or me or Matt or James or anybody else who might come before you and teach, but it should be developed because of your personal time with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his guiding of the Holy Spirit spent in his word. That's where your theology should come from. And that's where the freedom that surpasses everything. See, here's the thing. We talk about all this stuff. We do these things. We, we Falling on my knees in worship. When was the last time? We sing that song on a regular basis here. When was the last time you fell on your knees in worship? 
It's like we're all like, God, I'm doing it in my heart, but man, it's kind of embarrassing. People are going to think I'm weird. Here's the thing. Somebody walks in from outside the church who's never been in the door of a church before, and they see us singing a song that says, falling on my knees in worship, or I lift my hands. And they walk in, and they stand there for a minute, and they evaluate what's going on. They're going, wow, the music's really good. This is really cool. But they're saying one thing and doing an absolute another. Quit being embarrassed about what other people might think about you and start worrying about what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, think about you, the one who stretched out his hands and died. I just, I, this, let me finish this up. Let me wrap this up. I want to go back up to 1 John 3.23. And, and this is his command. Whose command? God's command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love others as he commanded us. Guys, get with people around you that are doing these things. I typically don't call people out. But I want to give you some examples of people that you can follow in your lives because we're supposed to be on mission. I haven't gotten permission from any of these people to do this. But as Jeff told you last week with your kids and stuff, (laughs) Matt is phenomenal. Matt's teaching and praying over your kids has drawn them to a point where there's a group of them that, do you realize meet at Starbucks on Monday mornings? At what time? 5.30. To pray and ask God to be with them throughout the rest of their week. (laughs) If you don't know what it is to get in the Word of God and disciple your children, parents, humble yourselves and go sit down with Matt. I know he's younger, but he's getting it right. Matt's getting it right. Manuel and Liliana Escobar. I can ask them right now, is it comfortable to open your home to a single mom and to let her move in and be a part of your lives? No, it's not. Your lives get turned upside down. But they sacrificed their time and their selves for that very purpose so that somebody could experience the love of Jesus Christ within the context of a not perfect but Bible-believing home who wants to get it right, who wants to do what God's commanded us to do. And guys, for those of you around me that uh, know about Impact, you know, it started it up three and a half years ago. It's what we like to say, or a little over three years ago. But here's the thing. I didn't start Impact. Impact started many, many years ago in the home of Ron and Colette Boiselli, who have lived these things out in their lives because that home has always been open to their kids' friends. And the way that they've conducted themselves with sports and everything else, I mean, we can get really judgmental about how people are spending their time with sports. Here's the thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And I can say that the Boisellis are about spreading the gospel in whatever they're out doing. Whether they're inviting friends over for a party and having a glass of wine and sitting down, if the opportunity comes up, God comes up. And if it doesn't come up, guess what? They're sharing the gospel often by their actions. I've got person after person at Impact who their first experience with Christ, their first just understanding of, of there's something more to life than just me existing and being selfish happened in the Boiselli's house. And that's now being modeled out in the lives of their children. I can't tell you how many people sit in this church, young people sit in this church, as a result of Kurt Boiselli 
being concerned about where they're at. And Kurt going, I'm not perfect. I don't have it worked out. There's a lot of things I'm struggling with and a lot of things he's done wrong. But Kurt's always like, I don't know quite how to do it, but I can get you someplace where you can learn how to have a life and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Guys, these are just a few. It is happening in here, but there are those of us in here who need a tune-up. I'm just saying, get with these people. Get with Jeff and Jamie. Get with Matt. Get with James. Get with Chris and Lucci. You know, James and Dee. Just find somebody and look at their lives. Wayne and Liz. I mean, there's so many that I'm, I'm skipping over. You know, uh, guys, I know you're out there. You know, Elsie's dream to get the youth, you know, to get the teen center started. There's a lot of people around you, and we get it right for a lot of it, but there's so much more that we could be doing. I think it's interesting that Matt just said, you know, this whole thing about the food pantry, the drive coming up. And God's word says so much about this. See, Carolyn Barnett, who's the wife of Pastor Matthew Barnett, who started a place called the Dream Center down in Los Angeles, which is just an amazing place. Uh, Look it up online. Check it out. See what's going on down there. I don't have a lot of time to get into it. But in her book, Willing to Walk on Water, states that depending on what translation of the Bible you're using, God mentions taking care of the needs of the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, and the hungry over 300 or over 350 times. You think it's not important? But how important to us is it? They'll know us by our fruit. Are you producing fruit? Is the fruit you're producing good? That's the challenge today for all of us. And guys, I'm, I'm teaching this to you because it's something I've had to wrestle with in my life. When you lean into this and you do what he's called you to do, why do you know my story? I, I'm the least of the least that should be sitting up here. But I recognize that like Peter and John, they were uneducated men, but they believed in God and they spoke with boldness. Spend time with Jesus and his word and you'll get the boldness to speak. We've seen a lot of baptisms that impact. We've seen a lot of people turn their lives around. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, I've decided to quit smoking. I've decided to quit smoking pot. I've decided to quit doing this. I've decided to quit having sex with my girlfriend. I've decided, why? Because we're getting into people's lives and intentionally spending time with them and not just popping in for a moment and saying, here, come to Jesus. There's a Bible. Have fun. But intentionally discipling them. In this very story, we have the exact roadmap of how to bring people to Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're just checking this out. I've now added the church on what we should be about. Go to whoever brought you here, why are you're here, and challenge them. Is this where your life's at? Show me how to do this. Get into the Word of God with them. For those of us that are believers, when we start doing these things, you're like, man, I would love to share the gospel with somebody. Do these things, and you'll share the gospel with somebody. Get involved with some government program, because guess what? They're doing our job. Okay? They're out there feeding the hungry. They're out there providing shelter for the homeless. They're out there doing the job of the church. So don't feel that you've got to recreate something. Go get involved in one of these government programs where you can tangibly hit the street and meet those needs. And guess what? You'll get a chance to share the gospel. I guarantee it. By your actions and then by your words. And where shouldn't we be but right in the middle of a whole bunch of unbelievers who are doing our job in order to go back and share the gospel and prove that their idea of us being hypocrites is not so. Does that make sense? I wish I was more happy and jovial and stuff, but that's not the guy that I am. Um, I I, I feel like I'm compelled to bring the word of God, and and that's just the way it works out for me. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, um, 
I've taught as I feel you wanted me to teach this morning. God, I just pray that uh, this word would find its mark where it needs to be. Uh, God, I pray as uh, Peter and John prayed. God, as his disciples pray for them, give us boldness. Father, give us boldness to be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that your word uh, would not just be this software licensing agreement to us, but God, I pray that uh, the 66 books that are between the two covers would be truth to us. See, it's not, not about a storybook, but it's about true accounts of what have happened uh, as a result of a mighty God and the story that a mighty God wants to share with us and the part he wants to play in our lives. It's you, Father God. Empower us, convict us. Uh, Lord, help us not to just casually uh, look at or listen to the word of God on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half and then think we've, we're good to go. Because um, God, I don't see that in your word. Change us, Father. I love you and I love your people. And God, I pray that we would be about your business day in and day out. Father, give us opportunity. But Father, help us to get into your word so that we know what you've called us to do. Help us to be obedient to your commands and not to try and take the easy way out, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.